You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Mike Florio, popular co-host of Pro Football Talk Live. He joins us on the program. Let me start with the poll question. The underdog best chance to win in the AFC. I think it's the Patriots. Bill Belichick, single elimination, all those playoff games he's coached over the years. And it has to be a record that the Bills and the Patriots, for two teams to get together three times in 40 days. They had two late regular season games. Patriots won in Buffalo on a cold and windy night. Now, it's not going to be as windy. And even if it is, I think the Bills have figured out they need to unleash Josh Allen. It's not going to be easy for the Patriots, but it's hard not to trust Bill Belichick. If you give me those three options and you say which one wins, and we know that home teams have been winning games like never before, I'd have to go with the Patriots. All the votes are in for all the honors, coach of the year, MVP, all all of that's been tabulated here. Uh, Who's your coach of the year? Well, I don't have one of the votes. So we do our own awards. And at PFT, I consulted with my staff. And I'm not being sarcastic because I wasn't sure which way I was going to go with Coach of the Year, but they persuaded me that it should be Mike Vrabel. And when you consider that they set a record, in Week 12 they set the record for the number of total players used. They didn't have Derrick Henry, the best player on their team, for more than half of the season and they still got the number one seed in a top-heavy AFC. You know, I was thinking Matt LaFleur until we really sat down and talked it through. And, and I, you know, Rich Passaccia, what he did was so special, but it, it's, it's a tough year. But I think Vrabel by a nose over LaFleur. Yeah, I was wondering about Belichick. With It was like last year he did one of his best coaching jobs. Uh, this year I expected them to make the playoffs. But I, I don't know... How do you differentiate when you're the greatest coach of all time? It's like Chuck Knoll. I don't think ever won coach of the year. You know, the, the great coaches or the guys who are really successful normally don't win coach of the year. Why is that? Well, because the coach of the year is kind of loosely determined by how far you exceed the expectations that were loosely out there going into the season. So if there's a team that's just supposed to be complete and total crap and they make the playoffs, all of a sudden that coach is a viable candidate for coach of the year. The bar is always high for the Patriots, so it's very difficult for Bill Belichick to exceed that bar high enough that it stands out over somebody who takes a team from worst to first, like a Zach Taylor, who should get some consideration, or a Vrabel, who did something special without his best player. But, you know, Dan, we also do executive year. That's not one of the official Associated Press NFL awards. Sporting News, for whatever reason, is still the officially recognized executive of the year that's the one that people pay attention to i don't know why i don't even think they still make sporting news but that's another issue altogether we made belichick our executive of the year because it's always hand in hand what belichick does as an executive either makes it harder or easier for him as a coach (laughs) this year what they did going all in spending all that money when they had the cap space that they had carefully built in a year where other teams weren't as competitive because of the the drop in the salary cap due to the pandemic. And they, they got Mac Jones when maybe the 49ers really did want him with the third overall pick, and they ultimately didn't take him. And it just worked out well that they have the talent they need to be as competitive as they were. So he's executive of the year, not coach of the year, but executive of the year. Who's worst executive of the year? Well, I don't know. Dave Gettleman's already been fired. Although, although you know, the... the The reality is, and I think one of the things we learn every year at this time, as the bad teams 
dump coaches and general managers and they make their owners available to speak to the media, you start to get an idea of why bad teams stay bad and why they can't get out of their own way. I got some strong feelings about the Giants, for example, and I think the, the Mara family is way too involved in the management of that team from a personnel standpoint. And, and they're so involved that they don't even realize how involved they are. But there's a reason this team has been to the playoffs once in the last decade. There's a reason this team has one, uh, yeah, yeah, one playoff appearance, no playoff victory since their last Super Bowl win. It's stunning how far they've fallen. And I feel like they're in quicksand and the harder they try to get out, the deeper they sink. And I think at this point, I got the vibe from the mayor press conference yesterday. I don't think they know what to do. Now they're not going to admit that, but just, I don't think they know what to do. And unless they're willing to completely step aside from the personnel side of the giants, I don't know that a general manager who has real options should want to go step into that job. Well, they fired Joe Judge, which they had to do. I was told that uh, on Monday that if you don't fire Joe Judge, you're going to limit the number of candidates yep. to become a general manager there. But I look at Stephen Ross in Miami. It doesn't feel like he knows what he's doing. You have the Bears, the McCaskey family. It doesn't feel like they know what they're doing right now. Um, and, and, and for different reasons, for different reasons. With Ross, this is very simple. And there's a sweet spot. I, I'm not big into owners meddling into what their team does. Unless you're going to give yourself the title like Jerry Jones did 32 years ago, and 32 years later, he's the general manager of the team. But I think the owner needs to live and work in the facility, in the building, in the town where his team is. You need to have that presence every day. The owners in the building have Robert Kraft. And Robert Kraft isn't meddling with the Patriots, but his base of operations is Gillette Stadium. I think if you're going to buy an NFL team, you need to make that commitment that where the team does business, you do your business. You need to be there because when Stephen Ross barnstorms in and he's watching a game in the luxury suite and he's got people from the front office whispering to him and the coach can't defend himself, and there's any type of dysfunction in the organization when the boss isn't there. Who's getting thrown under the bus? It's the guy who doesn't have a voice whispering into the boss's ear the one day a week that he happens to be in town. And with the Bears, it's a different issue altogether. But with, with Stephen Ross, he should either commit to that team completely, move to South Florida, show up every day, or just sell the team to someone who will. He's Mike Florio, Pro Football Talk Live co-host with Chris Sims. Uh, the Jim Harbaugh situation, it seems like he's enjoying this because it felt like last year he was holding on for dear life, take a pay cut. Now all of a sudden, hey, you got blown out by Georgia, but so what? Um, you know, now you got teams reportedly interested in him. Has anybody interviewed Jim Harbaugh yet in the NFL? Well, those types of interviews can happen without anyone knowing. The reason that we see these reports over and over again this week that the Vikings requested permission to speak to this person. The Bears requested permission to speak to that person. If it's somebody who's currently employed by one of the other teams, there's a piece of paper that makes it to the league office that then gets leaked to reporters they have on the payroll or others that, that this interview is going to happen. If it's not somebody who's currently employed by another team, there's no obligation to let it be known to the league office that you're talking to these people. You keep your internal records. You need to be able to show that you did a proper search. But, you know, somebody gave me the idea over the weekend that maybe Mark Davis has already quietly spoken to the likes of Jim Harbaugh, maybe a Jim Caldwell, maybe, you know, others who are not connected to other teams. Mark Davis did not take advantage of the two-week head start 
to speak to assistant coaches with other teams. He's focused, so he said, on the postseason. But there's a thought that he's already talked to some people. And Harbaugh could be talking off the grid to a lot of these teams. And it used to be that's how college coaches did it. It was the kiss of death to ever let anyone know you were talking to an NFL team because it was going to be used against you in recruiting. I remember when the 49ers hired Dennis Erickson in 2003. Nobody even knew Dennis Erickson was a candidate, and he shouldn't have been, but nobody even knew he was a candidate for the job. And that's how it used to be, but now it's a little more open. And I think Harbaugh is maybe, at a minimum, at a minimum, back-channel discussions about what he would be paid. And, and hey, do your thing. Leverage Michigan. You, you took a $4 million pay cut. This is your chance to make it back. Go make it back. Uh, Antonio Brown is not going to play. I guess the team is not going to be able to pick him up. Is he going to need surgery on his ankle? Uh, So therefore that would preclude him from joining uh, another, another team. Well, this is the old dog chasing its tail analysis with Antonio Brown, because we saw him play against the jets. And one of the big arguments against the notion that he said he was injured, people saying, Oh, he ran off the field. Fine. Oh, look at this. He was playing. So, I think he could play at a level below 100%. He was on that podcast last week, and they never really drilled down on the question I would have. You're not 100%, but if the Chiefs would call you and you're 85%, and they'll take 85% Antonio Brown over 100% Byron Pringle, Demarcus Robinson, and Josh Gordon, would you do that? And, you know, the fact that we haven't heard that surgery is scheduled, it makes me think that he's just kind of waiting and waiting just in case. And hey, look at it this way. If the Chiefs win this weekend and Tyreek Hill gets injured and he's done for the rest of the playoffs, and I don't want to be accused of jinxing anyone, but that could happen. He's got that heel that he was hobbling around with. If all of a sudden Tyreek Hill's gone and the Chiefs are still alive, how do you not at least consider giving Antonio Brown a call? So, you know, I think the smart move for him is delay the surgery. And I think he does need surgery. But I think if he had to, just like he did that day at MetLife Stadium, shoot it up with Toradol, go out and play. Are the Colts stuck at quarterback? Well, they've given up a third-round pick and what will be a first-round pick for Carson Wentz. Now, contractually, could they have some flexibility? They didn't take the gigantic cap charge on because it was the Eagles that made the big upfront investment in Carson Wentz. I just think that they would be wise to consider all options. And when Frank Reich was asked the question earlier this week, you know, when you have a true franchise quarterback and you're asked any question about who, you know, what the status of your quarterback is, you know, if they would ask Matt LaFleur about Aaron Rodgers status or Bruce Arians about Tom Brady status, you'd laugh at it. The fact that Carson Wentz, when his name come up, it wasn't laughed at by Frank Reich. That tells you they're going to, they, they have to, they have to, because he was the thing that held their offense back this year. Uh, explain that TJ Watt is not the all time single season sack uh, record holder. Well, the aborted snap, the dreaded aborted snap. He thought it was a sack early in the game against the Ravens. It would have given him 22 and a half and he would have broken it later in the game. But because of the way that the play was scored, it was a snap that hit the rear end of the center and it wasn't technically a sack. And they appealed to the Elias Sports Bureau and the Elias Sports Bureau denied the appeal. So there isn't an extra sack. And, and there's a certain irony to all of that because the play that Brett Favre ran, that, that's an aborted snap to me. <laughs> When Strahan got 22 and a half. I, I was that's just going to ask you, snap. I was going to ask yeah. you, which, which one is more of a sack in your opinion? 
Yeah, neither. Neither. <laughs> uh, and hey, TJ Watt did it in 15 games. So he's got that going for him. And, and you know, this whole debate about 17 versus 16 and should we put an asterisk on these records? It really doesn't matter because the season is now 17 games. The NFL exercised its prerogative to expand the season. So the records are going to reset and then it's going to expand to 18 and they're going to reset again. When do you think 18 rolls around? 2030 at the latest but possibly sooner, even though the current labor deal with the union doesn't expire until the early part of the next decade, they can do a new deal whenever they want. And I think once they fully appreciate how much money is going to flow from legalized gambling, and you know, New York came online this week with mobile betting and they've made a ton of money already. As more and more states come on board, the money keeps going up and up. How do you make more money if you're the NFL and the NFL Players Association? You increase inventory, you add another game. And then I think they're gonna start adding teams. It's not gonna be anytime soon, but I think as they understand how much money can be derived one game at a time, one week at a time, they're going to they're going to want more. They're going to want to give us more so there's more stuff people can bet on. I was thinking about this. Um I think you were on the plane. It might have been a red eye coming back from Denver and we were seated next to somebody affiliated with the NFL who said ask me any questions you want. And at the time, I wanted to know about adding an extra playoff team. And if we would be adding a 17th game. Well, he said at the time, the person I'm talking to, we're going to be adding that extra playoff team. So that's seven years ago. That next, that Monday, I come in and I said, hey, got a reliable source. Mike, you were there with me, but I don't think you reported it. And I got put out there and all of a sudden somebody said, the NFL said, no, that's not true. And I went, I'll be damned. I'm in trouble here. But it was the NFL who said, hey, ask me any question you want. Well, I may have been asleep at that moment or I would have reported it. So it's a long, it was a long day. Yes, it was it a long was. day and night and week in Denver. But uh, they, they had wanted to expand the playoff field for a while. They'd wanted to expand the season for over a decade. The challenge was getting the union to agree to it. And it was difficult to get the Players Association to agree to a 17th game. But money talks and the you know that's that's what's eventually going to get the union to agree to 18. They'll come up with ways to make it safer, expand the rosters, but it's going to be more. It's going to be more. And you know, Dan, I don't know, can they justify going to 16 playoff teams, half the league? Maybe they can go to 16 if they have 34 teams. Maybe that's the key. Yeah. But I just think it's a matter of time before there's no buys. There's 16 teams, and everybody plays this opening weekend with eight games in standalone windows instead of six. I'll leave you with this. If the Cowboys lose this weekend. If the Cowboys lose this weekend, I think what's going to happen is they're going to strike some sort of a deal with their offensive coordinator, Kellen Moore, like they once had in place with Jason Garrett to take over eventually for Mike McCarthy. And eventually will be whenever Jerry Jones decides it is. During the 2022 season, depends on how they do. After the 2022 season, during the next season. But I think they don't want to let Kellen Moore get away because other teams are going to be interested. They want to groom him to become Tom Landry. Jerry Jones tried to do it with Jason Garrett and maybe waited too long with Jason Garrett before giving up. I think they're going to try to do it again with Kellen Moore. So that's the balance here. I don't think McCarthy gets fired 
But I think they're going to mobilize to make sure that they can transition from McCarthy to Kellen Moore the same way they transitioned from Wade Phillips to Jason Garrett. I lied. I have one more. If Matthew Stafford doesn't play well this weekend. Uh, well, I, I, well, you know, they're not stuck with him contractually like they were with Jared Goff. But I mean, think about this a year ago. What a big deal it was. Two first round picks, a third round pick and Jared Goff for Matthew Stafford. And someone explained it to me recently. You know what? When you look at Matthew Stafford playing, the trade actually was two first round picks, a third round pick and Jared Goff for Jared Goff. Because how are they any better off than they were with Jared Goff, the way Matthew Stafford's played? Eight touchdown passes, eight interceptions the last four games. I think if they go uh, one and out and that's it, and they lose on Monday night, you know, Sean McVay will say all the right things, but we know from his time with Jared Goff, what he thinks, what he believes, and what he says are two different things. And at some point, we know that vibe. They're all in. They're mm. always looking to get better. They're always looking for the bright, shiny object. I could see him fall out of love with Matthew Stafford as quickly as he fell out of love with Jared Goff. I lied. I had one more. Is Ben Roethlisberger <laughs> retiring or just retiring from the Steelers? I think he's done. I think okay. he's done, and he knows he's done. Okay. Although, who knows? Hey, hey, you know, you win a Super Bowl, you know? I, not that they will, but you get rejuvenated. I just – he can't play like he used to, and he finally realized he can't play like he used to. And, and what he – if we would rank all 32 starting quarterbacks top to bottom – he'd be pretty damn close to the bottom right now. And that may feed into their narrative this weekend, and so be it if it does. But, but if you would go through quarterback by quarterback and prioritize one over the other, he would be very, very close to number 32. Who would be beneath Ben Roethlisberger on that list? Uh, well, you know, it's hard to say with the, the guys who just have one year. It's hard to say. Like, do you put – you don't put a Trevor Lawrence down there, do you? But, I mean, think about it. Who would you put? What Starting quarterback. Think of one. Starting quarterback who wasn't a rookie this year. That Sam, you would say, Sam Darnold? Well, Darnold. But, but is he even a starter right now? You know, Jimmy Garoppolo's down in that category as much as 49ers fans don't want to admit it. Uh, he can execute handoffs extremely well. And he did play well against the Rams with the game on the line. I'll Jared, give him that. Jared give him Goff? That. Jared Goff's down there. Jared Goff's down there. You know, even though he, he beat the Cardinals somehow and had three touchdown passes in that game. But, you know, it's, it's easy to say, oh, top 10 quarterback, top 10 quarterback. Once you start rattling off names, you get into the 20s pretty quickly. And there's some guys making a lot of money that are down in the 20s. And, you know, uh, some, some potential Hall of Famers that are creeping down toward 32. So I think Ben's sufficiently self-aware that, that it's over. And, and I think the way that it ended this year, storybook already, you don't want to disrupt that by starting a new story with another team. Now I'm officially done with you, Mike. Thank you. Thank you, bud. Thank you. That's All uh, right. See you, Mike Florio, Pro Football Talk Live, show that precedes ours on Peacock. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app, by searching FSR. She's Andrea Kramer, award-winning journalist, Pro Football Hall of Fame inductee, uh, chief correspondent for the NFL Network, and also uh, contributes to HBO's Real Sports with Bryant Gumbel. Also uh, a panelist on CBS Sports Network. We need to talk. She's also going to be part of the broadcast team with uh, Hannah Storm. That will be Cowboys Niners. 
coming up this weekend. She also has a podcast. Oh, come on, Andrea. Can you leave a couple of jobs to somebody else? She has a podcast called uh, NFL Films Tales from the Vault. Somehow she's taken time out to talk to us. Good morning, Andrea. Hello, Dan. It's such a pleasure, and I would always make time for you. You know that. All right. Even though, Dan, Dan, yeah. it's not like we had an agreement, but it's just sort of de rigueur that when I come on the show, I have certain expectations. I expect great questions from you because you are an interviewer unparalleled, but I also expect a Fritzy impersonation. And I'm a, I'm a little bummed right now, Dan. <clears throat> Dan, I'm losing my voice here, you know? <clears throat> I can hear the emotion in your voice that uh, Fritzy is Fritzy is not. He's lost his Internet connection. Do you know he wrote an entire page for your impersonation? He wrote a script and he never writes anything. He had a script written for his impersonation. He sent that to me early this morning and I don't know if we can make contact with Fritzy right now. Okay, all I can say, Dan, is, and we love Fritzy, and, you know, I could say that you wouldn't be where you are today without Fritzy, but <laughs> ability and availability are key, <laughs> yeah. right? In any game, in any contest. Yeah. Uh, I think Fritzy is going to try to call in. <sighs> all right, I'll let you know if we make contact all with right. Fritzy. All right. Oh, I'm sure that I'll hear it. Don't worry. Um, I just talked to Mike Florio last hour, and I said, if the Cowboys don't win this game, I said, finish that sentence. And he said he could see where Jerry Jones would try to wrap up Kellen Moore to make him sort of a coach in waiting. And he may do that anyway. But the importance of this game for Mike McCarthy is what, in your opinion? This is why they hired Mike McCarthy to win these kind of games. Because Jerry Jones was incredibly patient with Jason Garrett and wanted to bring in an established coach with a Super Bowl pedigree, Super Bowl winning pedigree. And that's what he got in Mike McCarthy. And Mike McCarthy obviously continued to let Kellen Moore call the plays so he could be the coach of really be the coach of the entire team. And I think that if there is the most pressure on any individual, it would be Mike McCarthy. And we know that Kellen Moore has already interviewed for at least one job in Jacksonville, and there will be more to come. And uh, it would just be interesting, Dan, to to the point he was Jerry was so patient with Jason Garrett. Will he not be as patient with Mike McCarthy? When you look at Dallas and if I say what side of the ball is going to win this game, if they win the game, it will be because of offense or defense. Wow. Uh, I think the fact that you're even asking that question is showing how balanced they are. And the fact that they are getting back uh, Micah Parsons and Trayvon Diggs, who uh, were among some of the players that were out last week on the COVID list. Uh, You know, the Niners, we know what they're going to do. They're going to run the ball and they're going to run it hard. And they have proven that they can do that very successfully. I love to see what Micah Parsons is going to do in this matchup because he is it's interesting how both teams have that X factor, that positionless player. They've got it in Micah Parsons on defense. And then, of course, the Niners have it in Debo Samuel on offense. And those are some of the key matchups that I'm looking for. But I guess if you really held me to it, I'm going to say what's Dallas going to do defensively? Yeah. 
it feels like those two are more impactful than anybody on the offensive side of the ball. Like Dak is a good quarterback. Uh, I'm not a Zeke Elliott fan. The wide receivers kind of hit or miss. They have that, you know, potential. But it feels like Diggs and Micah Parsons have to make plays in this game against San Francisco. But, you know, the Jimmy Garoppolo storyline is really fascinating, though, Andrew. When you think about he's a lame duck, he admitted that, you know, it kind of weighed on him this year. Is there any chance that they don't move on from Jimmy Garoppolo after this season? Do you get any any sense? Well, I must tell you, Dan, I'm, I'm speaking to John Lynch later today, and I, I think I would be more informed <laughs> after I speak to him later. But the reality is, is that the way that Garoppolo has handled things, okay? And, and let's give Kyle Shanahan a lot of credit as well, because how many people, how many of your listeners, for example, would have thought that down 17-3 at the half, with a guy with a bum thumb on his throwing hand who is not having, you know, relatively little success moving the ball. And Shanahan stayed with him. So is that a reflection on how he felt about Trey Lance in that moment or in that in that at that part of the game or just the confidence that he had in Jimmy Garoppolo? Look, when Garoppolo is is healthy and that is always the caveat with anyone not just Todd Fritz but also Jimmy Garoppolo you know when when someone is healthy then when Garoppolo is healthy he is a he is a good good quarterback but again that's the whole reason they made the move for Trey Lance is they couldn't count on him and I think it's really I think it's it's very very interesting I'm agreeing with you I think it's a great storyline what Garoppolo has done not just physically in the way that he's able to to end up getting the ball downfield to to Debo and to to Juwan Jennings but also just you know to be able to handle that kind of stress that kind of pressure uh look Greg Kittle uh excuse me um uh Kittle came to him George Kittle came to him before the game last week and said like is this going to be our last game together there is a Mm. there's definitely a feeling on the team of course that this could be it and uh Garoppolo is doing his best to manage it as best as possible not that John Lynch would answer it but if you said, if we redrafted, John, are you still taking Trey Lance? Or how close were you to actually taking Mac Jones? Like, I, I'm just curious because I, I, Trey Lance is not ready. He's got a lot of talent. He's not ready. Um, but Mac Jones, I mean, he's contributing. So I, I think I, about it. Look, look, the, 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 the anomaly has been drafting Patrick Mahomes, sitting him for the entire year behind Alex Smith, letting him play in a meaningless game in week 17. And then, oh, by the way, tra- and then trading away Alex Smith and look what Patrick Mahomes turns into. Yeah. I think that was the plan. I think that was clearly the plan for the Niners that now, again, did they have to move up and give up all those first round draft picks to get Trey Lance? That's a whole nother issue. But the idea of if Garoppolo's healthy, Again, always the big caveat. If he's healthy, let Trey Lance sit behind him. Let him learn. Maybe get him in a little bit. You know, look, at remember, in the beginning of the season, Kyle Shanahan was thinking of platooning them at times. That lasted about two games, and that was gone. So that wasn't going to happen. But I think that the idea that, that Garoppolo ended up missing two games, you saw, I think, I don't know, 178 or so snaps from, from Trey Lance this season. But certainly enough to prove that he, as you point out, is not ready to take over the helm of this team, especially in the playoffs. But again, the fact that they did it that way, maybe with that in mind, is, I think, what uh, what the plan was. Talking to Andrea Kramer, she'll be on the call 
on Amazon Prime with uh, Hannah Storm. She'll have the Niners and the Cowboys. Now, the worst weather you ever encountered as a <laughs> as a sideline reporter was where? Right, well, well um, the worst, there was two back-to-back games. There was the 1997 uh, divisional playoff and then NFC Championship game in, no surprise, Green Bay. The divisional playoff against the Niners, it was that driving rain that kind of goes sideways, sideways <laughs> where you have you have no idea. And and the best part of this is you, of course, know Stephanie Drooley, who uh, is now one of the highest ranking executives at ESPN. She was my producer at that time. She was forcing me to stand outside. And I'm like, don't you realize I'm going to look so stupid? Nobody will be paying attention to what I'm saying. They will be looking at this drowned rat out here. And of course, Boomer throws, you know, Berman throws to me like, well, Andrea standing out in the rain. To this day, Stephanie and I joke about this. But the next week, it was about 34 below wind chill for the for the conference championship against Carolina and those two games were were just unbelievable my cameraman took me to Fleet and Farm in Green Bay to make sure that I had new boots so that I would not encounter frostbite standing there <laughs> have you ever been wiped out on the sidelines by a player um oh my god uh Sunday Night Football Vikings and I had a wonderful man named Charlie Brown, and he would carry the light kit. So I, uh, I'm standing there on the sidelines. I can't make this up. It's kind of embarrassing. But for people who may not know, I'm 5'2", and I'm barely 100 pounds. Adrian Peterson is coming my way, and I'm on the sidelines. And I stand up, and I put my arm out like this. And Charlie reaches under my armpits and literally lifts me like a little doll. And he goes, what were you doing? And I go, forearm shiver. (laughs) So that's the closest I ever came to being completely run over. And then I got hit by a ball one time, um, uh, which is is not the greatest thing. It was actually pregame with a field goal attempt. And uh, I was talking to a coach and committed the cardinal sin, which is wasn't paying attention. And there you go. Um, a shiver, you know? Yeah. Uh, Fritzy is here. Uh, Andrea Kramer. Oh. Fritz, uh, Fritzy. Uh, Andrea said that she comes on the show and she expects you to do your Andrea Kramer impersonation. I know you wrote a script for this. Do I you... don't want to let her down. Okay. Oh, of course you don't. All right. So here's. But you Tom... don't want to let your, your, you don't want to let me down. Not about your boss, right? You don't want to let Dan down. Like, oh, by the way, you have a day job, Fitz, Fritzy. You first, Dan second. That's how it works. Okay. All right. So give Andrea Kramer your best Andrea Kramer impersonation. Thank you, Dan. Two Hall of Fame quarterbacks who brought Super Bowl to the city of Denver now find themselves on opposite sides of the Mile High Fence. John Elway and Peyton Manning are part of separate investment groups looking to buy the Broncos. Seven has the drive, but will he have the necessary money? Or will the other NFL owners exclaim, Omaha, Omaha, and prefer number 18? Two legends vying for a team who currently have zero quarterbacks on a team that hasn't reached the playoffs since beating the Panthers six years ago in Super Bowl 50. They lost double-digit games yet again and have now lost to their division rival Chiefs 13 straight times. One of these two legends will be orange-crushed to learn that their bid fell short. Reporting from Eaglewood, Colorado with the Broncos, Andrew Kramer, ESPN. 
he said he couldn't fit any script and as long as he nailed the clothes that's yeah. all that matters yeah. yes see thank you for all the time that you put into that script it's, well it, we, we love you i love you and you're welcome i enjoyed that and uh, you're a good sport thank uh, you thank you and dan, dan i have to ask you a question how many years have you been out of espn i think uh 14 coming up on 15 years okay so i'm coming up on 16 i still get at an airport oh you're my favorite person on espn to this day <laughs> get it. and jimmy roberts told me who left before me to go to nbc he said that's going to happen they, there's just that great and, and of course you never have the you never have the the wherewithal to say I haven't been there in 15 years, but yep. I'm glad you like me. Yeah. You know? I have people say, oh, I watch on SportsCenter every morning. And I go, wow, right. that's awesome. You know? Right. And I right. Like, you can't tell anybody no, you know? No, no. But, you know, it's been 15 years since I did SportsCenter. But thank you. It's nice that you uh, – but you know what? You're so – people don't change their viewing patterns. If you think about the number of channels that you click to every night, there's probably five channels maybe max that, that you'll stay with. And the fact that SportsCenter and ESPN was just ingrained in people's daily and nightly routines, I mean, it's a testament to the product that we had, but also, you know, people want familiarity, comfort. But it's also unfortunate because, look, you know, I did certainly my share, as did you at ESPN, of the, you know, exclusive interviews. And back then, they meant something. The Sunday conversation meant something. And if you wanted to see it, you could only see it on ESPN. Yeah. Now, nobody has any idea really who's where because everything gets put on the Internet. So it's great for distribution. I'm not quite sure about brand identification, but uh, but things have, have certainly changed in that way. And, and it just it just gets to the glut of information that's out there. Could you do your own sign off here as I say goodbye to you? Wow. Uh, I wonder who I'm signing off for because you said I do work for number. <laughs> How about you can go back? Okay, well, How about say, ESPN? How about your ESPN? No, 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 no. Let me write my own script. Okay, please. all right, sorry. Okay, all right. I wrote bad. his. Let me write. Let me okay, write mine. All right, my bad. Uh, off the top of my head. Okay. So, uh, uh, I hope that you'll all tune in to watch Hannah Storm and I call Cowboys. <laughs> <laughs> three, <laughs> three, two, one. I hope you'll all tune in to watch Hannah Storm and I cover Cowboys Niners on the wild card, super wild card weekend, Sunday at 440. Reporting for the Dan Patrick Show, <laughs> I'm Andrew uh, Have fun this weekend. Great to talk to you as always. Oh, it's wonderful to talk to you. Stay, You stay healthy and everybody that listens to you and everybody on the great team stay healthy as well. Thanks Thank for having you. me. That's Andrea Kramer. She's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. She also contributes to HBO's Real Sports with Bryant Gumbel, and uh, she'll be part of the broadcast team with Hannah Storm. That'll be at 4.30 Eastern. Cowboys Niners streaming on Amazon Prime Video. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live on the Peacock app. Hey, this is Jason McIntyre. Join me every weekday morning on my podcast, Straight Fire with Jason McIntyre. This isn't your typical sports pod pushing the same tired narratives down your throat every day. Straight Fire 
gives you honest opinions on all the biggest sports headlines, accurate stats to help you win big at the sports book, and all the best guests. Do yourself a favor and listen to Straight Fire with Jason McIntyre on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Jay Glazer, Fox NFL insider. He has a new book, Unbreakable, How I Turned My Depression and Anxiety into Motivation. And you can, too. Now available online wherever books are sold. Always great to uh, talk to Jay. Is Ben retired from, re- retiring from the Steelers or retiring from football? Do we know yet? Yeah, from football. Okay. You got me? Yeah, he's still – and, well, not only that, they were – I think they were a little surprised he came back this past year. So – But nobody has made any – he hasn't said anything about this. Why, no, why is he holding not, out? It's not the Steelers, they know. Okay. Like, this is like it's not a – this wasn't a – no, this they, – they, like I said, they were surprised he came back this year. And then when he did, obviously they were lucky that he did. Um, but yeah, there was kind of like, oh, wow, he's coming back. All right. <laughs> Fantastic. Here we go. But no, yeah, he's, he's not, he's not going to leave the Steelers and go somewhere else. There was a report, I think Albert Breer, the Monday morning quarterback that, you know, would the Raiders explore trading for a coach? You know, they, you know, they did yeah. this with, with John. I, I, I said the same thing on, on Fox. Okay. Where they were, they were, look, it's the Raiders, right? When you have Carlos Santana playing, you're a halftime in a preseason game. That's a rock star place, right? So <laughs> they are, uh, I wouldn't be, look, I think Rich Passaccio should be the coach. Like he's, it's incredible what he's done with all the stuff that they've had endure this season. But yeah, they, I think they're looking for a rock star to trade for a, it doesn't mean to happen, but trade for a Mike Tomlin or Sean Payton or something along those lines, or, explore Jim Harbaugh, somebody like that. You got all these big whales in Vegas, right? So you want to make sure you kind of have a whale. But listen, the bottom line is you got to win. And Rich Passaccia turned this, took this team, did a way better job than John Gruden did, and steered them through an awful Like, man, he, people could say as much as they want that, oh, no, it's not a distraction. It's not a distraction. They have more distractions than any team I've ever seen. Yeah. Where does uh, John Gruden's lawsuit stand? Um, I, that I don't know. Is anything legal? I know I'm not smart enough to really. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know Gruden? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. But but is this? Do you we're feel not boys. Like... I wouldn't say we're boys. Uh, no. Do you think I this is just a life. settlement here eventually with Mark Davis? Again, that's the legal part. I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure. The Jim Harbaugh situation, um, it feels like he's enjoying this considering where he was last year at this time. Where He always liked this. It's every year. Every year Jim Harbaugh's name is connected to NFL teams. He loves this. Absolutely. But I will tell you this. One thing I know is that he has talked to other coaches saying, hey, if I go back in the NFL, would you – you know, would you join me? Would you be interested in this? Yeah. So he is definitely um, preparing for the opportunity, but I'm going to say he liked, he does this kind of all every year. Like he, I think he likes it. We had to take the pay cut 
And then I, he may have taken Michigan as far as he could take them. I mean, they got blown out by Georgia. People forget that. They're like, yeah, but they beat Ohio State. I wonder if Harbaugh realizes you're never going to be better than Ohio State on a consistent basis. And, yeah, and then I think a lot of those guys also, they, they, um, there are a lot of coaches who are kind of like your, the way you could, like some of your, like I know when I get on my guys at Unbreakable, I get on them. Right, I'm always telling these guys, no hands on your hips, neutral face. We don't ever show it. And I know it wears thin on them, right? It wears them out. Eventually, I'll oh, stop, enough. So I think a guy like Harbaugh also, like like Parcells was great with this. He was like, all right, my stuff lasts for three years. And then they just, that's it, and I move to the next place. And I, I thought that's why college is great for Jim, because he gets everything, right? He <laughs> yeah. constantly has that. Yeah. Right? But in the league, I think he's great. Like, no doubt, a dude's a phenomenal coach. Like, there is no – you can't contest that whatsoever. And builds winning cultures. Cannot contest that whatsoever. But the smart thing is go somewhere for a few years and then move on and go somewhere else. Who's the hot coaching candidate in the NFL? So it's different this year than every other year because every other year people want um, the next Sean McVay. And before that, it was the next Sean Payton. And it just – not there this year. We don't have those hot offensive candidates and, you know, it's McVay coaching tree. So guys like Dan Quinn, a lot of the, a lot of the guys that have been around, like Dan Quinn uh, is a hot name running around and rightfully so, right? He's one and, and you want to talk about building a culture, like you can't wait to get into work every day with Dan Quinn. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you this. I would say 99% of coaches change when they get the head coaching job. And it's a very rare few that, you know, and they, and they have to change to a certain extent. DQ is the same exact dude when he's D-line coach for the 49ers that he is today. Dude has never changed. He's a, he's a, rare, he's a rare breed. If the Cowboys happen to lose this weekend, it's, is, it, is Mike McCarthy still firmly cemented as the head coach? I think he is. Yeah, I mean, it's – I would think. But I don't – with the Joneses, I don't know. But I would think so. Look, here's here's the other thing. Cowboys are a different place. Ooh, that's like – this is why I say, like, Troy Aikman's the biggest gangster of all time because – and that's why Dak is such a gangster. <laughs> that position is like the court, the head the, the, the head coach or quarterback of – and it's like Jimmy Johnson's like – incredible those two positions are like the center fielder for the Yankees and the shortstop for the Red Sox and the center for the Lakers and the point guard for the Celtics all wrapped up in one the attention that you get right and all the outside noise that you have to deal with and they get a guy there Mike McCarthy that's just got them to think football 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 I think he's done a phenomenal job but obviously with them that their expectations are so incredibly high how did the Giants become this much of an embarrassment? Oh, my God. Um, I don't think they know what they don't know. What they don't know. You know, even a guy like, look, I was, I said this weekend that Joe Judge, you know, had first it was like, you know, maybe 75% come back. Then my pre, our pregame show on Fox, I said 50%, 50-50. And by the time the OT came, I was like, it's down to 25%. <laughs> <laughs> And, man, there's just – I think some teams – look, culture is everything. Culture is everything. 
And you look at some of these teams over and over and over who lose, like Washington football team. It starts at the top. And you got to look at it and go, since Dan Snyder took over, they've never won. Well, maybe you got to look at the top down, right? Detroit has never won. It's, you know, Cleveland, the one year they won was the year that nobody else was allowed in the building. Only football. Right? Think about that. And then, like, I look what Sean Payton did down with the Saints. He went down there, and people were wearing bags on their heads, right? And, man, he went down and kind of taught the owner how to be a winning owner. And you go down to the Saints facility, man, the, the locker room feels like a W hotel. You know, they, the, the weight room is, like, more ridiculous than everything you've ever seen. They get this restaurant, Drago's comes down and caters to them every Friday. Like, guys don't want to leave the facility. They're there. <clears throat> the Giants, their culture, they're waiting for the sky to fall all the time. They're just always waiting for the sky. And then, you know, uh, yeah, I, you know, here's the issue, is they always hire from within, from who they know. Oh, let's bring in Dave Gettleman, right? Let's go get, oh, Joe Judge is part of Belichick, right? They, they, Everybody, you know, they want to Matt Rule because he was there for a year. Well, you have this culture where you're waiting for the sky to fall. You got to go outside and, and build a new culture in there. And you got to build a culture where, man, I cannot wait to get to work every day. And I don't want to leave the office. Talking to Jay Glazer, Fox NFL insider. His new book, Unbreakable, How I Turned My Depression Damn. and Anxiety. There it is. And Look at that. Motivation and you can too. Look at you! That you got a is that a smedium that you got on that that shirt there? My Michael Strahan collection. I got to give him a little plug here. It's a triple XL, but thank you for noticing the <laughs> body, man. Uh, Are you body shaming me right now? Is that what you're doing? Are you body shaming? Me? No, I'm 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 complimenting you. I'm envious. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, you look swole today. Uh, I, had late, I had a late night last night. What uh, what led you to write the book? Um. My the, the the gray that I live in, I call it. Um, and you know, I've talked you know somewhat about this, man. I live in this. It's um, my depression, anxiety. It's it's been since I was. It's my earliest memory, and it sucks. It's a daily thing. Like every single day, I wake up thinking my sky is falling, and people think like, "Oh man, you're rich and famous." Like my wallet's not an antidepressant. It doesn't work that way. I have never known how to. Like love myself from the inside out. I don't know what that looks like. So I've always had to use, like, go do bigger things on the outside to learn to get love. And you don't really have dudes who talk like this. And I did something a couple of years ago, and I started talking. And obviously, our foundation MVP, you know, merging vets and players. Like, I'm an open book there. I open up, and I pull my skin back, and I talk, and I realize, man, like one of the things that helps me be of service helps me get through the ready to see the blue is being of service. And um, this book is, you know, it, it's for all of us who live in the gray, whether you have, you know, like I have, whether it's clinical, you want to call it clinical depression, anxiety, mental illness, or, or just, you just go through hard times. I wanted to be this voice for the gray for all of us and show us it's okay not to be okay. It, you, we need to start talking about it. And like, man, football players, like they hurt their knee they go right to the doctor. But when our heart's hurting, they don't go to the doctor. And this is what we need to work on most. And as our the world has changed, when this thing came out right here, right, and now all of a sudden we're comparing ourselves to everybody else's filtered fraction of a second in life, 
we think our lives suck all of a sudden and we see so much hate online. We're not conditioned for that. So I, for me to see the blue, like when I say I wake up in the gray, it's every freaking day and it absolutely sucks. It's terrible. And I never know which version of me I'm going to get every day. And then when I lay my head on my pillow at night, those 15 minutes at night, the worst part of my day, because I'm laying down with someone that I don't know how to like or love. And I just think is a, a, like, not worthy of anything good. So I'm like, you know what, this is, this could help a lot of people. Um, and then recently, because I did the book, um, I started kind of journaling uh, on social media in real time, um, how it looks, how living in the gray looks. And that has helped me cut through the gray a little bit and see the blue, see the reaction. And like, man, being like muscles, this, this is nothing like vulnerability is true strength. And if I could be vulnerable with the world and, and especially the dudes out there, not, but it's not just that at everybody, I think like we all deserve to be happy and not live in the gray and not let that monster win and keep that monster in the box. And it's a harder world to do that in nowadays. So that's why I wrote it. I think they, they came to me about it. And I've always been like, no, 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 especially like this, but I pulled my skin back. And in the book, I explain what living the gray looks like through a conversation that I had with Sean McVeigh, who, who didn't really understand it. And he, he let me redo the, the conversation. And he's like, wait, so you like, you wake up every day depressed? I'm like, yeah. He's like, why? I'm like, because I have depression. He's like, I know, thanks. <laughs> but I was like, Sean, think how much better of a coach you'll be if you can understand the darkness that leads your players to put a helmet on and smash themselves into people over and over and over and over. Or for you and your coaches to work 20-hour days or for somebody like me who steps in a cage with a Randy Couture or Chuck Liddell and gets punched in my face, like, like we're, we're off. we got to be off to, to do what we do here. And, you know, I, I, I just thought it was a great way for me to be of service to people, man. And, um, and I'm proud. And the, the crazy stuff is my gray. Like I have 12 days to 25th is when it is launch date. And in my mind, my world's going to come crashing down in the next 12 days. Like I'm trying to keep it together and not cry as I'm talking to you. It's that hard for me every day, every time something good happens, I feel so unworthy anything good ever happened to me. And um, yeah, to have this come out, man, where I, if, I've already had people tell me that they were gonna, um, from my posts, um, they were gonna turn to suicide. And because of these posts, they've, uh, here I go, <laughs> they've decided to get help is, uh, man, that's, that's why I wrote the book. Well, I, I appreciate your friendship because you yeah. know, I went through a dark time and you reached out to me and you just said you're here, you know, you were here for me. So I'm right, dude. Never forget. I'm right. Yep. That's why, man, we got like, man, we need our teams and these bonds that we have, right? These brotherhoods, we can't do it alone. And uh, I, I wanted to make sure that you knew you had a, a battle buddy who was walking this walk with you, dude. And you've always been there for me, man. So I, I had to be there for you. Thank you, Jay. I appreciate your time. Love you. Good luck I with the book. That. Thank you, man. That's Jake Thank Glazer. You.